Welcome to Episode 2 of the Spokesman Cycling Roundtable Podcast. This podcast was recorded Monday, September 4, 2006. The Spokesman Cycling Roundtable Podcast is a combination of some of the best cycling podcasts on the internet. Each show will bring together some of the most famous voices in cycling for a lively discussion of the current cycling news. Welcome to Episode 2 of the Spokesman Podcast. Thank you for joining us, and thank you for all your feedback on the last show. We have a full roundtable this week, and I'm going to introduce each and every one of the participants, and they'll say hi as I mention them. First, Carlton Reed, who is the editor of Bike Biz Magazine, and his podcast is Cycling News and Views. Hello, Carlton. Next up is Jeremy Vaught from triathlonradio.com, as well as the Beginner Triathlete Podcast. Hi, Jeremy. Hello. Sitting next to him is Tim Grawl from the Crooked Cog blog website and network, as well as the Crooked Cog podcast. Hello, Tim. Hello there. And finally, joining us as last week, just like Carlton, is Larry Barker from crank.com. That's C-R-A-N-K-K.com. Hi, Larry. Hi. Good evening. See, now that's something that, that's important. For me, it's morning. I'm here in Los Angeles. Um for Larry, it's evening because he's in Japan. Carlton, it's late afternoon because he's in Britain. And for Jeremy and Jeremy and Tim, uh, they're both in the U.S., so it's both morning for you guys? Absolutely. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, real quick, because we have two new members today, uh, Jeremy, why don't you tell us a little bit about your podcast real quick? Sure thing. Um, triathlon Radio is, uh, is a podcast about triathlon, and I focus more on beginner aspects of it, since there's so many podcasts out there that, with triathlon that focus on more of the, the elite, and um, it seems to, be, uh, seems to be doing well. And my other podcast is BeginnerTriathlete.com podcast, which is for BeginnerTriathlete.com, which is a great forum that, uh, if you're into triathlon, uh, is the place to be. Jeremy, I guess it goes without saying that you're a triathlete. I do what I can, yeah. <laughs> How long have you been doing that? I've been doing triathlons uh, about two years now. Very good. Excellent. Well, welcome. Thank you. Uh, Tim, tell us a little bit about your podcast and about the Crooked Cog Network. Uh, well, the Crooked Cog Network started a couple years ago with Blue Collar Mountain Biking, and we basically wanted a site to talk to mountain bikers that didn't have a lot of money but loved the sport. And then from there it grew into a commuter site and a site dedicated to two-niner bikes and that sort of thing. And then this summer uh, we added the Crooked Cog podcast where basically I'm using all the contacts I've made over the last couple of years to get some cool interviews and do some product reviews and some commentary and that sort of thing. So um, we're on our, we just launched our fourth episode and it's uh, doing pretty well. Excellent. Well, welcome. And, and real quick, because you mentioned it, and I was just reading about it in Bicycle Retailer Magazine, give us a, a, a brief overview of a 2.9er bike. Basically, a 2.9er bike is, well, you have your, your normal mountain bike has 26-inch wheels diameter. And the idea was um, there's all kinds of history to why that was picked, but basically it was picked because that was the easy thing to pick at the time when they first started mountain bikes. Well, um, the two niner bikes are the bikes with the set. They're basically, the rim size is the same size as a road bike. And then you add on a big mountain bike wheel and you're hitting about 29 inches. And so basically you have all kinds of 
things you can do better on a on a two niner as far as rolling over things because you have a lower angle of attack you can uh, maintain momentum better that sort of thing and uh, there's a huge niche growing with these um, in fact uh, 2006 has had the biggest um, amount of bikes coming out and I can't wait to get to Interbike and see everything that's being released there but basically um, for most cross-country riding you're going to get a better ride on a two niner and so that's kind of why they're be becoming more and more popular because as more and more people ride them they realize that it's a better all-around ride than a bike with uh, smaller wheels. Interesting, and, and and I think you're right. Based on what bicycle retailers are saying, we're going to be seeing more 29er bikes this year at Interbike. So so we'll see. Speaking of trade shows, it is trade show season in the bicycle industry. Traditionally, the late summer, early fall is when all of the trade shows in the bike industry happen, and. Carlton just returned from Eurobike in Germany, and that is the one that really kicked off this year's trade show season. Uh, after that, there's uh, the IFMA show in Germany, and then, of course, Interbike here in the United States. And that seems to be, uh, at least here in the U.S., that's the granddaddy of them all. But, uh, Carlton, I've, I've been to these shows in Europe, and they are huge. I remember when I went to the Milan show in the late 80s, and it was bicycles and motorcycles, and you couldn't walk the thing in two days. It was that big. What did you see at Eurobike? What's new? What, are, what should we expect to see this year? Well, you're right. that uh, It's a big show. There was 820 exhibitors there, and they spent a lot of money on their, their boost this year. I think in previous years, the bike trade has been uh, already spending a great deal of money on, on shows. This year, there seems to be an awful lot of cash out there to present the products very nicely to, first of all, to the trade, and then, of course, unlike Interbike in the U.S., which isn't available uh, for the public to get in, the, the German trade shows on the last day the public are actually allowed in. So uh, that's, a, that's a huge difference. Members of the public can actually get their hands on all of these brand-new uh, products that are, that are being shown further in effect the next year. It, what's coming up... Lots of browns. If you want colours, then then, uh, then muddy brown is your colour for next year. Um, every every road bike, every mountain bike had a kind of chocolatey coffee brown uh, range of bikes on on their booth, which was kind of strange. <laughs> you know, it's 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 funny here in the U.S. We've got, and I don't know if you've got it in Britain, but we have a new cell phone. Uh, it's an LG cell phone called the Chocolate. So maybe it's it's a whole trend from cell phones to bikes. I, there must be something out there because it's it's everybody. What about uh, what about new products? What did you see this year? What was what was the hit of the show? What was everybody talking about? Do you know it's so hard to have one hit of any show because you can have nine hundred journalists which are meant to be at the show, and we'll all go out with uh, different impressions. It's very difficult to, to narrow these things down until you've probably had two or three weeks of uh, reports put out there by people and all the different magazines come together and eventually you come to a consensus. But you can do things like most expensive, you can do lightest, all these things are, are relatively finite. And uh, the lightest bike there was a, a Scott Addict on a road bike front and that was £13. Um, that's, that's everything. That's, that's the, the wheels, the frame everything. So there's clearly they, issues there with uh, the UCI. How did they, how would did they, they ever allow it? this bike? Everything on that bike is carbon fiber. 
Um, almost everything. Even the dropouts are carbon fiber. And they have this whole new process for um, manufacturing this carbon fiber. And uh, they get these, these bikes silly light. And just like the Cannondale of a couple of years ago, where they had to add weight to it to make it UCI legal, it's, uh, it's the same with this bike. But interestingly, how much of this is true, I don't know. But Scott, which is a, a Swiss company, uh, they say they're actually in productive discussions with the UCI to get weights brought down. And so we can actually see some technologies uh, being brought forward that bring bikes down in weight, which ha has been stopped in the past by the UCI. So Why is that? Does anybody know? That there's a there's a limit on the on the weight, you know. I guess it's it. Go ahead. Well, it's it, it's two reasons. Uh, it's it's meant to be safety. Uh, just if you if you produce lighter and lighter bikes, then you're going to snap some and people are mm -hmm. going to hurt themselves. But I think there's also a, a political reason in uh, Hein Verbruggen, who was the previous president of the UCI, uh, was trying to get on to uh, being employed by the Olympics. And he was big into getting developing nations into cycling, which clearly is a, a very laudable thing. But to bring these developing nations into cycling, you had to have a level playing field on bikes, he thought. So you can't have America and European nations spending tens of millions of pounds on these fantastic lightweight bikes. But then your African cyclists have got to make do with bikes from 20 years ago. So they brought in all these regulations saying, You've got to solidify a bike, in effect, to 20 years previous, so that they can't go light, they can't go aero, they can't do all these things that developing nations can't get their hands on. And that now might be changing. Interesting. What was the lightest bike on the mountainside? <laughs> Scott also. Uh, they had their Spark uh, mountain bike, which... Uh, it, it, Gorgeous looking bike. All of the carbon bikes uh, this year were just gorgeous from everybody. Um, but Scott's uh, um, main reason for being newsworthy was because they were the lightest. And uh, 29 inches, I don't think, impacted uh, that much at, at, at Eurobike as compared to, to Interbike. But certainly, carbon mountain bikes were everywhere. What about the new the new components, either from from SRAM or Shimano? What kind of a what kind of a buzz did, did those generate? Well, they were there clearly, and they were on everybody's bikes, but not so much a buzz because everybody's known about them for so long. Uh, so it's yeah, it's nice to actually see and touch them, and they're getting prizes and, and what have you. But it's it, there's no buzz because we we have been told about these uh, long ago. Now, does Eurobike do something like Interbike does with their Dirt Demo Day where, where you get the chance to actually go out and ride the new technology? You know, that's why I go to Interbike. Uh, <laughs> it, it's, it's mainly for the desert trips, getting out there. That, that's fantastic. And it's what Eurobike is missing. Uh, they do have your standard test tracks, and they, they dump a load of dirt uh, in the outdoor arenas, and then you can, you can queue up and, and test ride a bike. But there's nothing where the whole industry ships out uh, to a fantastic location for for two days and, and rides loads and loads of bikes. It's 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 the it's the key element that would prevent me going to Eurobike over Interbike if they were on at uh, roughly the same time. Eurobike has this 
unbelievably fantastic advantage of being on six weeks earlier than Interbike. So lots of the American brands are launching pretty much a month ahead of uh, schedule compared to Interbike. Tim, you mentioned that, that, that you're going to Interbike, is that correct? Uh, yes. And have you been before? Yeah, this will be my third year. And so you've, you've done the, the demo days. Why don't you tell the listeners what, what that's all about and, and maybe give us your impressions of, of that because it's something that you know, your, your, your average bike consumer isn't going to have the chance to do. Uh, I've never done the demo. Oh, you've days. never done it. Well, well <laughs> no. then, then, then I'll I'll explain what it is. Uh, <laughs> okay. And, and, I, and I and I think Carlton did a pretty good job. But what what ends up happening is two day. You know, Interbike is a is a three day show, and for the two days beforehand, uh, they have their demo days. And what that is 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 everybody gets on a bus from the Sands Convention Center uh, in Las Vegas and heads out to a desert location over near Lake Mead. And all of the manufacturers who want to bring their new products and they set up their, their, easy, their easy up tents and you go out there, you bring your, your shoes and your helmet and they supply the bikes. And for two days, you have the chance to ride all of the latest cutting edge technology. So whether it's, uh, like I said, the new groups from Shimano or SRAM or whether it's this new bike uh, from Scott, which I hope that they'll have there because I'd like to ride it. It's a really fun way to get out and and play with the technology that you're about to see for the following three days at the actual trade show. It's it's a blast. It's a lot of fun. And, you know, everybody goes out there. So um, it's, Except for me. Yeah, well, well you need to go this year. <laughs> I'll see what I can do. Meet me out there. I'm I'm driving to Vegas, so I'll, I'll drive you out to the demo days, and we can go out and ride. All right, uh, Carlton. Anything else that we should know about that's that's coming up? Any new trends that you saw besides these awful brown colors? Light is back. You know, it, it went away again for for quite some time because of the maybe the litigation issues, but now everybody is talking about light again. Um, and even even jerseys can now be light. You've got the the Castelli 74 gram Superleggera jersey, which is well, it's half the weight of a standard jersey. Which uh, if you if you start adding all these things up, uh, you, you you spend your your bucks, and you're going to just have hardly any kit around because it's going to be all so lightweight. And nowadays it's going to be tough as well. So we have come on so far and so fast. In, uh, in technology where everything is getting light. Uh, let's sort of go around the table. Guys, do you see a reason for, for a super lightweight jersey? Has your jersey weighed you down in the past? Uh, Jeremy, tell me, tell me, do, do you need a super lightweight jersey? Well, well for me personally, I, and I'm, I'm 6'1", and I have, uh, you know, in, in perfect shape, I'm still at 210 pounds, so saving a few grams is... For me, hasn't really affected me. Um, even lighter bikes don't seem to, if it's even drastically lighter. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't really see the purpose in a super light jersey. But I'm sure somebody does, and somebody's willing to pay for it, and that's the key. Tim, what about I think, you? See, I think for 99% of the consumers out there, it doesn't. Most of this stuff doesn't matter. I mean, um, if you can spend a little more and get major weight differences. Um, then, then I think that could be worth it. But uh, as far as I can tell, I mean, it goes up so so exponentially once you start getting lighter and lighter. It's like you start getting less return for your money. And I think most consumers don't care. They, you know, they're not 
hardcore racers or hardcore um, riders in most cases, and they just you know they want to get the most for their money. And also, um, Carlton mentioned they are getting tougher, but usually when you get lighter, you also get flimsier stuff. So um, for the blue collar riders like I am, we don't have much money to spend on our bikes. So I would rather go out and buy something that's a little heavier, but I know we'll, we'll I can beat up for a couple of years before things start breaking on it. Yeah, that's that's a really good point, Larry. How, what do you think yeah. about this lightweight this lightweight trend? Yeah, I, I'm I'm in a similar situation as Tim. I mean, for myself, um, pretty much, I would look at something such as uh, that not being really that useful to myself. I mean, I'm I'm all for durability, you know, especially in terms of touring and in terms of um, of commuting. You know, you want something that you can wash and wash again and not really have to worry about uh, spending all your dosh on uh, one or two shirts that are going to cost a fortune because they save you a few grams of weight. But I guess the, I guess the idea is that if you're, if you're a UCI pro, you know, you're on the pro tour, that every gram is going to help and you don't really care about the cost because your sponsors are taking care of it anyway, right? I'll take that as a well, this is not really. I'm gonna, I'll jump in here. This is not really a, a, a pro bit of kit. It's very much aimed at the um, the guy out there or the woman out there who's got lots of cash, of which there are lots out there who will be buying uh, the expensive bikes and want the most expensive kit. You, you in the UK as in the US, you now have two hundred, three hundred dollar shorts, and they fly out of the door. Uh, the, there's a, a, a massive market out there for the lightest and uh, the most svelte uh, kit, and that's in bikes and in clothes. And actually, if you're if you're heavy, uh, yes, they're not going to give you any uh, benefit whatsoever. It's probably best for you to, to just skip lunch a couple of days a week <laughs> to get the same benefit, or actually go for a poo, uh, which is the other the another allergy. You can you go to the toilet and you you'll, you'll save two hundred dollars. However. Uh, people do want to buy these things. It's an aspirational thing, and uh, far be it for me as the editor of the trade mag to to uh, say I would want to prevent them. It's it's something that people want, and it's not something the market is developing, and there's no demand. You know, it, this is the whole reason why I called my podcast the Fredcast because there are a lot of Freds out there, a lot of people who want to spend the money whether they have the ability or not. Because you're right, they aspire. To be like the the pro tour riders, they aspire to have the lightest, the newest, the the, the greatest, and I think you're right. Those are the people who are going to want to spend the money on this jersey that saves them the weight of a couple of paper clips. Yeah, I was just going to say the same thing. That that's exactly we're defining a Fred right here. Someone that will go out and spend that money for zero benefit. Well, don't say zero. I mean, you know, you look good <laughs> wearing it, right? All right. Okay. <laughs> you know. You got me there. And, and in some ways, you know, it's, it's funny because it's, and it's a great reason to have Tim on the show because, you know, his listeners probably balance out my listeners in that, uh, you know, Tim's got his, his, his blue-collar cyclists, as he calls them, and I've got my Freds. And, you know, somewhere in the middle is probably your average cyclist. Um, uh, right. I mean, I still wear T-shirts on half my rides, cotton T-shirts, you know. And I mean, I still get to have a good time and ride. And most of my friends and the people that read my sites, they they are they're just like the weekend warriors that that ride after working on the weekends, and they don't they really just don't care so much about saving two paper clips worth of uh, worth of weight on their ride. And I think it makes a difference too on mountain biking versus road 
um, you know, we're not so worried about wind resistance either. So, I mean, there's all kinds of things that can go back and forth. But I, I still say for the majority of the consumers out there, um, they're happy with something cheap that will wick the sweat off and, and kind of cut down a little bit on wind resistance. But as long as they, they can spend under 100 bucks or under 50 bucks for something, then they're happy. Yeah, I think I, I'll, I think, I'll, I think I'll jump in here and, and defend Castelli for their their uh, technology here. It's not actually two paper clips. It's uh, it's pretty much half the weight of a standard jersey. It's 74 grams, and a standard jersey. I'm sure you've never weighed one of these things, but they're about 140, 160 grams. So it, it's it's half the weight, and it, that's not just you know how much it weighs on your back. That probably also equals a bit more comfort. So you're riding along, it's going to be lighter, you're going to gain a few percentage points in the very fact that it's wicking better because it's lighter. And the other thing, of course, is it's all trickle-down technology. So it's ultra expensive right now, but Castelli are using this. Within three years, you're, you're mass market. You'll, you'll probably be able to get, not equivalents, but similar sort of stuff from Walmart because everything that starts high-end will eventually trickle down to the market uh, eventually. Perhaps not cotton t-shirts, but certainly, uh, these kind of jerseys will, will will become for everybody within four or five years. I don't know. I mean, microfibers are in, are in are in garments now too, so it could it could trickle down to the cotton t-shirt. Any, anything else that, that you saw there, Carlton, that you think that, that we might be interested in? Uh, how interested are you all in mountain bikes? I think a lot of us are interested in mountain bikes. Okay. Well, gearbox could be big. Uh, there's a, a most people clearly are, are putting. Um, Shimano or SRAM stuff on their bikes, but there was a few uh, suppliers out there, uh, the leading, the cutting edge, who were, were putting the gearboxes on there. And there's there's two systems, uh, the Nikolai and the Suntour. So Suntour looks to have the lightest and, and uh, most compact system. So that could be the next uh, step upwards for a company like uh, Suntour to to get rid of derailleurs and actually steal a march on, on companies like Shimano, which if you know your mountain bike history, Suntour were huge into to mountain biking originally, Shimano were tiny, and uh, Shimano using uh, all of its research and development budget, leapfrogged over Suntour, maybe this is Suntour going to leapfrog back over Sh Shimano. What kind of weight is involved in a gearbox versus a standard drivetrain? They're huge and they're heavy. <laughs> they're that's very, very that's opposite. what I suspected. <laughs> yes. The opposite of the Superleggera jersey. <laughs> this is, right now, this is for, for downhillers where an extra 10 pounds, big deal. <laughs> so this is not something for your, your cross-country mountain bikes just yet. But give it time. And uh, again, trickle down. So you, you've got to have the companies at the leading edge uh, making these things five people buying them and then eventually other manufacturers take note and it goes mass market. It's interesting that there are now two systems. So it, it started with Honda who came out with their their system that got other companies looking at it and now there's these two competing systems and when you have two competing systems well that, that breeds competition and that, that breeds uh, potentially successful one of them. Is Suntour um, big in Europe or Asia, or are they still a small player everywhere? Um, increasing in size, but when you compare it to the, the 
the behemoth, which is Shimano, they're, they're right. still tiny. Okay. Yeah, I mean, and I think Carlton nailed it. They, they were at one time uh, one of the top two group manufacturers in mountain biking. And Shimano just just hammered them. And then SRAM came along with Grip Shift, and pretty soon nobody had even heard of Suntour anymore. So uh, for me, at least from nostalgia, it's nice to see them coming back. And yeah. to have them coming back with a new technology, Carlton, I think you're right. It'll give them the opportunity to you know really come back and, and maybe beat Shimano at their own game. Apart from the fact that Shimano probably has got uh, its own system in development. Those, those guys are just amazing. They, they spend 40-50% of their, 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 their budget on R&D. I'm sure they'll have something waiting in the wings. Is this something that you think we're going to see on, on pro mountain bikers' uh, bikes in, in the coming seasons? Not if they are riding with any of the mainstream brands because the mainstream brands aren't, aren't equipping their bikes with them. The, the one that I saw at the show, uh, which is on my uh, video podcast, in fact, on there now, is from Orange. So that's a very small five 6,000 bikes a year British manufacturer, um, which isn't available in America right now. It used to be, but isn't now. Um, so they're small scale uh, at the moment. But people who... who no bikes will will ride these products. Unfortunately, the, the sponsored riders won't. Real good, Carlton. Thanks for the report from Eurobike. I I appreciate. It. I think the listeners do. And uh, Tim and I at least are going to Interbike. Anybody else going to Interbike uh, on the roundtable? I would love to. Uh, in fact, me and Tim were speaking about that uh, earlier today. But uh, I have a little bit of an appointment going on in Hawaii, as uh, you're you're aware. But uh, I don't think I'll be able to make a, a detour over. I, w- I would love to uh, make a detour, but I don't think I'll be able to. Jeremy Carlton, I'm going to try. I don't. I don't know. I hadn't considered it before uh, the last few weeks, but now that I'm quote unquote in the business, more or less. Believe it or not, they gave me media credentials. I got them too. I mean, as a podcaster, isn't that cool? Yeah, very cool. Hey. Carlton, are you coming over? I would love to. It really is one of my favorite shows to come to because of the the riding. But this year, just other things are, are coming up. But there is, if I can give it a, a wee bit of a plug, there's um, for anybody who's not going to be able to get there, you can actually watch it on Cycling TV. That's cycling.tv. They're the official uh, broadcasters of the show, and they're going to be doing a daily. It's not going to be podcasting, but it's going to be broadband uh, TV coverage from the show. Yeah, they've actually set up a whole studio uh, at the convention center that Cycling.TV is going to use, but anybody in the media can use for photo shoots, for video interviews, uh, for, for doing your media job from the show. And what's really cool is here's an online site that's now the official media outlet of Interbike. I think that really shows where we're at you know, in 2006. Yeah. Uh, it's it's gonna be cool because I'm, I'm I'm not going this year, but I can still uh, log on and and uh, watch some of it at least. Yeah, and something that you mentioned is is that at the European shows the consumers are allowed in the last day or two, depending on which show you go to. And Interbike's never done that, and this is a great opportunity for consumers to have a peek inside the convention center and see what's going on. I'm going to be podcasting from there, uh, hopefully every day, depending on on time. Uh, and I think that, I don't know if, Tim, you're doing the same thing, but 
it's okay. it's just it's an amazing show and it's a lot of fun to go to. Yeah, actually, um, last year uh, it was me and my partner, and in two days we put up over a thousand pictures from the Interbike floor live because they have the wireless, the Wi-Fi there. And so this year we'll, we're going to have um, definitely four people I'm working on uh, getting a fifth guy that helps us out on the sites to come out. So we're planning on getting at least a couple thousand pictures uh, live up on the show and then uh, somewhere between five and ten uh, podcast episodes a day too. I'm bringing out all my equipment. So yeah, we're definitely going to, there's definitely going to be a lot more covers this year than ever before. Yeah, excellent. I'm you know, the, the, this this sounds. Yeah, I haven't never thought of this before, but this just sounds like Interbike ought to be open to the public, because if there's going to be all sorts of consumer-facing podcasts, there's going to be broadband, TV broadcasting from the show. Why can't American consumers go into this show? Well, one thing I was actually talking to Rich Kelly, uh, one of the guys that's involved in in Interbike. Um, and setting it up and basically I don't know if there'd be room because the whole point of it is the whole point of the show is to bring you know bring the retailers in uh, to meet with the manufacturers so that they can sell the retailers their products well walking into that show it is packed to the gills um, with people every day the three days it's there and I think opening it up to the public would just be absolute insanity because I don't know how they could fit everybody in I think that if you went to one of the European shows and you saw the Consumer Day, you'd say, oh, this is how they do it. Oh, the, really? Yeah, because the consumers are shoulder to shoulder, and it is incredibly crowded. Um, but it's just accepted. It's something that's done. And I, I think it's an attitude change that would need to take take place here. Uh, I know having worked at Interbike, having worked at several booths in, in the old days when I was in the industry, uh, you're tired by the end of that third day. And the last thing you want is, you know, the, 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 the Fred, I'm just sorry, to walk in and start asking you every question about, you know, how many grams you're saving and how much it's going to cost and when they're going to be able to put it on their bike. You're so exhausted that uh, it's, it's, it's difficult to do. Nevertheless, they do it in Europe and the consumers mob the place. There's one other consideration, and that is that when you make your booth for a dealer show, um, it's much, much more ac accessible than it might be if it was for a consumer show. Uh, does that make sense? Right. They bolt because everything can... down. Exactly. They bolt everything down. And, and, and I hate to say that, that, that you know, cycling consumers are, are just like any cross-section of society. Uh, there's going to be those that are really, really respectful, and there are going to be those for whom you have to bolt down everything in your booth. Right, where at Interbike you can basically handle and get on and play with pretty much any product that's there. Exactly, exactly. There's still plenty to get stolen though. There's always at least one extremely high-end, unusual, unique bike leaves the show uh, before it ought to. So light-fingeredness just happens. But when you let the consumers in, wow, it, it just goes up and, and people really do get the Allen keys out and... and and start bolting everything down. What uh, What about that thirty-five thousand quid uh, seat that was over there, Carlton? Did you get a gander at that? Oh yes. The, well, that left every night. The the insurance <laughs> uh, for that 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 gold and and diamond encrusted saddle. Uh, the stipulation was it had to be taken home and put in the guy's bed every night. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm sorry. Diamonds on my saddle? I don't think that sounds very comfortable. Well, on the, the, on the stand, it's Sella Italia, and they have three saddles in uh, Perspect boxes. And two of them are prototype saddles, which look fantastic, but will never make it to market. And then there's this third saddle, which is uh, solid gold and encrusted with uh, these 200 diamonds and it's been commissioned by a sheikh in Qatar and if you know Qatar, Qatar's this cycling mad um, Arabic state and uh, this sheikh has clearly got an enormous amount of money, he's a super fret and uh, he's get buying this saddle for his, his daughter and it leaves in October Sorry. He's also picked up one of those jerseys I think too <laughs> And, and, and if he's a super Fred, what's his name so I can get him to sponsor my show? <laughs> yeah, he's, he's technically anonymous. Oh, I'll find him. Excellent. You know, he can I, pay I, you I, in camels. Well, you know, camels are, are legal tender in some places, I suppose. There you go. Well, let's move on uh, because I think that we've, we've probably beaten that one to death. But I uh, just wanted to talk about a couple of things very briefly that, that came up recently in the news, and I don't know if it if it shows a trend or, or if it's just, they're, they're both tragic, but I, I wanted to mention them. Uh, and actually both of these were suggested by, uh, by Larry. Larry wanted to, to mention both of these on the show. The first one was a, an accident that occurred here in the United States, and this took place a couple of weeks ago, where there were a number of police officers in Indiana who were participating in a charity ride across the state in tribute to other police officers who had been killed in the line of duty. And if you don't know the story, they had a support vehicle behind them with a big banner on it saying, Caution, cyclists ahead. And somebody lost control of their car, hit the support van, the support van then hit the cyclist, and a couple of them were killed and a couple were injured. And it was a very sad story that took place here. And then there was another one that just took place in Australia just a few days ago where there is sort of a non-sanctioned race that, that goes on. I believe it's called the Hell Ride. And these guys, I think every Saturday, they go out and they race. And this week, they hit a pedestrian. And other than the guy who hit the pedestrian, 50 cyclists went by and didn't stop. And the pedestrian actually ended up dying. Now, I don't know about where you are, but... There's not a whole lot of unsanctioned races that I know about here in, in my neck of the woods. There is one training ride that takes place every week around the Rose Bowl in Pasadena, sort of the famous sporting venue, where on every Tuesday and Thursday night you'll get anywhere from one to 200 cyclists going around the Rose Bowl in a pace line at a very, very high rate of speed. And the first time I saw it, I thought, that looks really cool, and I got in it. And one lap around the Rose Bowl, and I was done because it was dangerous. There were people in that pace line who should not have been in the pace line, and I could see how people could get injured and potentially people could get killed. So I guess my question to all of you is, do these two incidents show a trend? Is cycling getting more dangerous for cyclists? Are cyclists becoming more dangerous toward pedestrians? What do you think about these two things? Now, since Larry, Larry, you brought it up, what are your thoughts? Uh, well, the first one uh, that uh, kind of caught me off was the Hell Ride uh, incident. Is because the, the one thing that really uh, raised my eyebrow at that is 
it, it goes on to mention the the accident and whatnot, but then you have the fact that it talks about how well established this race is in the cycling environment down there in Australia. I mean, they're talking about two or three hundred. Uh, Razors who turn up every weekend, and uh, granted, it wasn't that size for the entire 20 years, but the, this thing has apparently been going on that long. But at the same time, they're saying that no local clubs have kind of taken the reins and organized this thing so that it happens in a well a, a safer uh, manner. And I just kind of find it kind of funny or strange how how that can happen, because um, I would think anywhere else, and I'm not sure what cycling is like in Australia, but uh, I'm sure in, uh, in many countries that this would have uh, well, I can say one thing in Japan, it definitely would have had a stop put to it. But uh, I imagine the same goes for in the states and the UK as well. Jeremy, what about you? What what, what are your thoughts about about these two incidents? Well, the. The first thing is I think that, you know, it's a good thing that the van was in front of the one, because otherwise it sounds like it could have been worse. Um, but uh, the, uh, I don't know, it just seems like, uh, well, first, unsanctioned races, I can see why you, why you need sanctioned races. Obviously, for these kind of things, that's what, uh, it's, you know, people, I, I, I'm, I could imagine someone would, Get uh, get sued and all and all. That's what insurance is for. Um, but uh, uh, it it also brings to the brings to light just just general cycling. Um, you know, paying attention to to what's going on, and it's not it's not all about the race. You know, you gotta everybody needs to uh, to survive to race another day or whatnot. And just you you can't you can't be going so crazy that you're running into pedestrians obviously and so normally a sanctioned event obviously they'd have police officers there to close them off the roads and it'd make things just a much safer place um but you know we we hear about cyclists getting hit and um we hear about uh, other you know people involved with cycling on the streets and stuff and so having said all that you know things things do happen sometimes and that's just unavoidable what about just the fact that, I mean, I'll just read right from the article. It says, witnesses said up to 50 cyclists continued their 60-kilometer-per-hour charge in the so-called hell ride after the elderly man was struck. So, so here's an, an elderly gentleman just simply walking across the street on his daily walk, according to, to his friends. This is something he did every day. And 50 or so guys just speed by, and here's this guy bleeding and dying on the sidewalk. Is this is this an issue of 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 cyclists, or is this an, a societal issue where we just have sort of become numb to the world going on around us? Tim, what do you think about that? Well, it says fifty. If the ride was two to three hundred people, I mean, how close? I mean, was this? I, I would guess I would look more at the time span. If there was fifty people in a group, um, I would guess most of them didn't even see what happened if they're going by so fast, and so. I don't know. The, honestly, the it, it's a tragedy, and um, I'm sure if it was my grandfather, I'd be I'd be speaking differently. However, weird things happen. I mean, when we're riding, and um, I mean, even just on on any rides that I've been on, just just fluke things happen and bad things happen, and um, it just it doesn't mean uh, I would hate to see um, any kind of 
um, law passed in Australia or America where that would say something like all all races have to be sanctioned because I know there I mean I do races and there's other people that do races that are not sanctioned it's just a bunch of friends getting together and doing races and um, so honestly I, when I heard about this story I wasn't you know I, I felt um, sadness for what happened to the man and, and but I wasn't really that disturbed by how many writers um, went on by because you don't you don't really know much about what was going on you basically know that they went by but how fast were they going were they grouped up did, did they look at them and just keep going I mean you don't know any of that I would think most people if they actually saw what would happen somebody would have stopped so do you think then that this is just the the press being too hard on the cyclist because I think what you're saying makes sense you know you, you might not have seen what happened and of course you just go by uh, so you think that, that, that the writer of this article and some of the others is just being too hard on us? Yeah, I don't think this is something, I mean, obviously I think something should be looked at for this individual race to make sure things like this don't happen again. But um, but you got to think of how, I mean, when's the last time you heard of somebody getting hit by a bike and dying? I mean, if, if I wonder if this the writer gets so upset about um, the story um, with the cyclists getting killed and, and that sort of thing because I read those every day and I read this this is the first story I've really ever seen that I can remember of a cyclist killing a pedestrian so I think it's a fluke and although it's sad I don't I don't see getting so extremely upset with something like this because I mean weird things are gonna happen no matter what you're doing and no matter what kind of rules or laws you put on things that's a good point you can't you can't write a law to protect against every danger can you Exactly. I mean, it could have been one. It it could have been one rider speeding through town, and the guy still would have died. So, I mean, it was a race, but you know, again, I don't think we see all the facts of what really went down. Carlton, what are your thoughts? Well, it's a famous race, if I can call it that, because it's I've seen it uh, mentioned frequently on CyclingNews.com. Uh, they're they're obviously based in Australia and uh, it's a big issue for them and uh, there's been numerous uh, calls for it to be banned and then all the cyclists kick up a fuss and say no it's, it's not as bad as you think but I agree this this is is pretty much uh, it's a tragedy but it's also relatively fluky in that uh, pedestrians aren't getting killed every day from from cyclists mowing them down <laughs> and this particular race might be um, somewhere where you'd want to stay clear of if you're a pedestrian by the sound of it which is not good and it is terrible PR for cycling if, if that's the case but yes I would agree that it, it does sound to be uh, any pedestrian death being hit by a, a cyclist is, is, is a, something that's not going to happen very very often and I, in my, my day job I've, I have cycling as one of the keywords and bicycles and mountain bike all the different keywords for cycling uh, plugged into Google News, so I get emails uh, 10, 20, an hour on news sites all over the world. Anybody who's talking about cycling, I'll, I'll get to hear about it. And cyclists getting killed is is the number one story around the world uh, if you start uh, getting these emails all, all the time. And it, it's, it's, it's mind-numbingly awful because this is just a nine-year-old killed, a seven-year-old killed, a 35-year-old killed. This 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 story in America with the the police guys getting killed that came up. Uh, it's constant, and for a pedestrian to get killed, it's like 
that's big news because that just never happens. So maybe the the author of the the piece is is coming at it from from that angle, in that this is an extremely unusual occurrence. And you're right, of course. I you know every week when I get ready to to prepare my show, and I go through all of my news feeds, I you're absolutely right, and I've said it on my show before, and I don't know if the listeners really believe it. The number of stories that come across the wires day after day after day of cyclists being killed, and you're right. A lot of times they're they're little kids, and it just it breaks your heart. Um, and and I mean even if they're not, even if they're they're adults, and you read the story and you say, "Wow, that could have been me just out on my my daily ride." Uh, the number of cyclists killed is astronomical, as compared to situations where a pedestrian has been killed or injured. Those are extremely few and far between. Or as compared to situations where somebody in a vehicle has had to swerve as a result of a cyclist or something and they've had a problem. I don't think I've ever read uh, an article that has to do with somebody in a vehicle having a problem as a result of a cyclist. It's always the other way around. So I think you're right. Uh, this, this probably is an isolated incident. But I, I guess one of the things is the, is the un, unsanctioned race part of it. The fact that, that uh, as we said earlier, there was, there was no roads closed. No, no police directing traffic. Uh, a race of any length, you've got to think, is going to go through intersections that are busy, is going to go through uh, pedestrian crosswalks, uh, is going to go by you know, playgrounds. And, and I think that, that part of the problem here, of course, is the fact that it's unsanctioned. And I think that that also is a reason that it should be looked at. You know, just like Tim, you were talking about your your races that you do with your friends. I'm assuming that you're talking just a handful of people. You're not talking about two or three hundred. Right, right. Um, and that's what I'm. I mean, I could see a race as big as uh, the Hell Ride um, being something that needs to be sanctioned. But I would just hate for something um, like we've already established that's a fluke would be cause um, problems for um, alley cat races and. Um, just races on the weekends and that sort of thing that are usually just a handful of people. Um, I would hate to see those um, get some kind of laws or sanction against because it's just, uh, I mean, that's what tends to happen is when one fluke thing happens, everybody freaks out and uh, what can we do to stop it from ever happening again? And I would just hate to see something like that happen in this case. Yeah, I think I think you're right. And uh, the, the only problem is is that I know... I've seen situations where you get 10 or 15 or 20 guys on mountain bikes screaming down a hill that where there's hikers and, and people with their dogs and their kids and with horses, and it's in situations like that where we tend to get in trouble and where we tend to have um, the community knee-jerk reaction against us. And so I, th I think if, if we all keep that in mind and if we're all smart about what we're doing out there, uh, we can avoid those negative reactions. But hopefully you're right. Hopefully this, this one, well, I think we've all agreed as sort of a fluke occurrence. Hopefully this won't, won't cause a backlash uh, in Australia or elsewhere. All right, let's move on to, to, to a more fun subject, if you don't mind. I, I sort of sp sprung this on all of you, and hopefully you've had a chance to think about it a little bit. Uh, but our last topic today, and that is, it is trade show season, and it is time for companies to come out with all of their new products. And so I'd like each of you to put on your product manager hat. And I'd like you to think about products that you would really like to see for cycling, which don't exist right now. Uh, even if it's just an improvement on a, on a product that already exists. 
and tell us what you would like to see released in the coming year for cycling. And since I, I put all of you on the spot, I might as well start because I've, I've given this a little thought. For me, and because I'm a Fred, and because I like all this technology, one of my favorite products that I bought in the last 12 months is my Garmin Edge, which is a, a cycle computer slash GPS. And it's, it's kind of neat. It, it, it could use some improvements, and it could, could use uh, some new features. I like convergence. I like the ability to have my email and my contacts and my music on my cell phone because that means I only have to carry one device. Well, the same goes true for my cycle computer. So when I bought this, I thought that this was going to be the last cycle computer I'd ever have on my handlebars because I could get my GPS data and I could download it into the computer and I could, could share my routes. I could do cadence. I could do speed. I could do all those things. I could do heart rate. But now, over the last year, I've realized there's one thing, at least for now, that this is missing. So what I would love to see released in the next year is a unit just like this, but which also includes a power meter so that I could have all of my training metrics all in one place and only have to have that one item on my handlebars. So that's the product I would like to see in the coming year. Um, Jeremy, what about you? You know, this is such a hard thing because you know, I don't. I feel like I'm pretty satisfied with uh, with what I have. But you do you bring up power meter, and that remind it does. I personally, I would think an affordable power meter would probably be probably at the top of my list if I would if I thought about it. Um, they they're just so expensive and. And uh, and I th and I think that that you can get there. Obviously, you get a lot of value out of them, and that would be a great product. I know I have a I have a Polar. Um, I can't remember what model number, but it's the it's got the wireless um, the wireless piece on my on my uh, fork, so it tells me how fast I'm going as well as my heart rate. And you can hook up a power meter to it, but I, it's not quite the same quality as you would have, say, with the uh, with the rear hub being a power meter, so something, something a power meter that's just a couple hundred bucks that's uh, that's good and accurate. I think that would that would really be something. Carlton, any wishes for the coming year? Uh, a great bit of kit for uh, every cyclist would be infrared monitors on cars, so they could actually know when they're going to hit you and take avoiding action. So uh, maybe computer-controlled cars. So you can just sit there and you get driven around. You plug in <laughs> where you want to go, and uh, it avoids cyclists. And then we can all get on the roads and uh, have a nice time. You know, you, you know, you guys laugh, but I actually saw a video on YouTube recently with this new Lexus where it actually parks itself. You you literally pull up to a, a space for parallel parking, and you you press a button, and you take your hands off the steering wheel and it backs itself into the parking space. So if a car can do that, I don't think Carlton's dream is, is really that much of a dream. I think it's it's a future possibility. Oh, huh. it, it's it's coming, and it, it would be also great to get uh, speed limiters. So uh, when you see a 50-mile-an-hour uh, zone, uh, it's not the um, minimum speed, which I think a lot of motorists assume it is. It's It's the maximum speed. So the computer takes over and it says, says no, you, you, you can't rev up and get up to that speed in a, in 100 yards. You've got to do it 
progressively. And uh, people will say, oh, but that's taking away my freedom to, to step on the gas pedal. Well, it, that's also taking away the freedom of a, a, a pedestrian or a cyclist's life. So we've got to, as a society, take all these things into consideration and uh, put it all into a big kettle and, and come up with something which is, is good for us all. Just as long as that speed, limer do speed limiter doesn't exist as I'm driving to Vegas to go to Interbike, because <laughs> <laughs> trust me, <laughs> that's a boring road. Um, Tim, what about you? Um, well, mine probably isn't um, as societal changing as, uh, as Carlton's, uh, but in the 2.9er world, I, they already exist, but I would like to see a whole lot more companies jumping in um, on some full suspension 29-inch um, bikes. Um, this year, like I said, it's seen a, there's been a pretty big explosion of companies getting in the market, but they've all been doing it kind of the cheapest um, way that they can as far as, okay, we're going to do a steel rigid single speed 2.9er and just to see if we can sell them. And um, I understand the, the marketing behind that or the, uh, the business behind that, but um, I'm afraid that the market is going to get saturated, and I think that there is a market for all types of two niners. So I would like to see more companies um, actually jump in with both feet and make these things available, um, because the comp um, every company that's coming out with a two niner, um, they're having trouble keeping them in stock. And so uh, I'd like to see a bigger range of um, options when it comes to comes to 29 inch bikes. Excellent. That's that. I like that one. That's a good one. Larry, what about you? For the last uh, word in new products for 2007. <laughs> I'm not really a, a hard man to please, but uh, I've had a look around a few times for this, and by all means, if anyone finds anything like this, uh, definitely email it to me. But uh, I'm looking for basically some kind of a multi-adapter uh, that will run off of a dyno hub so that you can basically you'll have a USB adapter on that as well, so you can charge up you know any USB device, iPod, phone, pocket PC, what be it. Uh, flashlight, your uh, your battery pack for your rechargeable lights, of course, and uh, yeah, just something as simple as that. I'm no wiring genius by any means, but uh, I would imagine something like that would be pretty easy to slap together. But uh, the only thing I've been able to find comparable is something that will, uh, well, it's actually a hack job that was out of the Netherlands, and the guy got his iPod charging off of it. But uh, I'd like to see something like that come about, or even maybe a, an affordable comparison uh, product to the Roloff Hub as well. Other, other than the Nexus, other than the Shimano Nexus, I should say. Excellent. Those are all good tips. Hopefully somebody listened to us. And uh, maybe in, maybe not in 2007, maybe in 2008 we'll see them, because I think that all the new products that are coming out at the shows are, have already been developed. But, but real, real good. Gentlemen, thank you all for, for joining us again this week. I think this has been a great show, and hopefully it's full of content. We're just going to go around the table real quick, and if each of you will let the listeners know where they can find you and how they can contact you. So, Carlton, you're first. Okay, well, it's uh, my name, Carlton Reed, C-A-R-L-T-O-N-R-E-I-D, at Mac.com is my email address, and uh, I can normally be found on BikeBiz.com, because that's what I edit. Excellent. And your podcast? Oh, sorry. Yes, it's uh, Cycling News and Views, which uh, you can get from iTunes and anywhere else where you normally get your, your podcasts. Real good. And Jeremy? Triathlonradio.com, and um, my email is triathlonradio at gmail.com. Okay, and Tim? 
You can find me at crookedcog.com and the podcast is crookedcogpodcast.com and email me at tim at crookedcog.com. And Larry. Yeah, the new site is crank.com, C-R-A-N-K-K.com. Uh, you can reach me at podcast at crank.com. And uh, sure, send over an email and uh, as well listen to episode number 42 to kind of explain the little... Uh, well, the situation that uh, took place between this podcast and the other one with my name situation here in Japan. I'm afraid we outed Larry. Sorry about that. Uh, okay, and I'm David from the Fredcast Cycling Podcast, and that's at thefredcast.com, and my email is thefredcast at gmail.com. This podcast uh, show notes and information can be found at the-spokesmen.com and also on iTunes and any place else that you also get your podcasts. Thank you, everyone, for participating this week. We'll be back again in another two weeks with another show. Until then, get out there and ride. Sitting next to Jeremy is Tim Graw from the Cooked Cog Blob Blob. I can't believe it. <laughs> That's a mouthful, Tim. What did you do? All right, I'll I'll cut that out. So I really feel we're breaking through. I really feel we're getting in at the top now, and we're rooting out the evil ones. Ah, which pizza? Yeah, well, the normal Italian pizza, margherita. That uses of this marvelous instrument of pleasure and transport, which is also a symbol of freedom. Phil Liggett, Ivan Basso, Jean-Marie Leblanc. They've all been on Cycling News and Views podcast. Get it where you normally get your podcasts from or subscribe on iTunes. Cycling News and Views. It's got cycling, it's got news, and it's got views. Crank, Cycling, Life, and News, a podcast concoction of bike-related stories, news, advice, and opinions that have been harvested from the social news website crank.com. That's crank, C-R-A-N-K-K.com. So why not stop by, vote on, discuss, and submit your current cycling news and stories today. Fredcast Cycling Podcast is a weekly show devoted to the latest cycling news, gear, gadgets, gizmos, and components. The Fredcast is devoted to helping recreational and endurance cyclists and cycling fans learn more about the sport, increase their skills, master new techniques, take on new challenges, and learn about all of the latest technology and components. In addition, we cover upcoming rides, ride reviews, and the latest sites of interest on the internet. Learn more at our website at www.thefredcast.com. The Fredcast Cycling Podcast, helping you find new ways to enjoy the ride.